Are you ready to head down the path to an abundant retirement? We're tackling the topics of the mind of the modern retiree. Here on Navigating an Abundant Retirement Radio. And now your host, Carol Dewey. Welcome back to Navigating an Abundant Retirement Radio. I am your host, Carol Dewey, and this week we're going to continue our discussion on personal finances. This is part two of the five-part series, and we're going to address a financial problem where lack of automation and simplification combined with inflation equals decimation. How crazy is it that you're made to feel like you're doing something risky or even foolish if you insist on controlling your own money? But is it really risky to insist on providing your own financing, starting a business to build your own income, or buying assets you can see and understand? We've been conditioned to be skeptical towards the financial choices that actually make more sense, but not to question the options that offer investors poor or unpredictable results. When you're faced with a decision to sink your hard-earned dollars into stocks you can't control and fund stuff with financial instruments so complex it takes multiple PhDs to comprehend, remember your mother's question. If everyone else jumped off a cliff, does that mean you should too? Whatever happened to saving? Money managers downplay saving in favor of investing, for example, assets under management. While saving money may be talked about fondly, actually establishing a truly adequate emergency fund and building liquidity in one's personal economy gets little more than lip service. Many Americans think they are saving in their 401k, but as a result, they don't actually have money when they need it. In 2011, as the recession continued, over $57 million was cashed out from 401k plans early, costing plan participants penalty fees as well as taxes. One study reported as many as one in four Americans are borrowing from retirement accounts to pay bills, such as their mortgage, college tuition, even credit card payments. Savings and investing are both important, and it is actually saving, not investing, that builds our financial foundation and flexibility. Saving appropriately will enable us to later invest without resorting to liquidating our investments every time we have a financial emergency. But saving isn't just for those who are starting out and establishing emergency funds. Saving is an essential lifelong habit that provides liquidity to one's life and business. Prosperity economics teaches people to save before and during investing, to save for opportunities as well as emergencies, and to measure opportunity costs before paying cash for major purchases. But where can you safely save where your money can outpace inflation? The low interest rate environment has turned accumulated wealth into mere trickles of income. These days, even multimillionaires are challenged by living off interest if it is held in bank savings accounts and certificates of deposit. However, the most likely thief to steal money from your bank account is inflation. The inducements to stop working at age 65 have also betrayed us. We have less stability, less control, less real prosperity than ever before. And now inflation is eroding our money as well. What can we do to protect ourselves and escape the insanity? Learn about alternative places to store cash, like participating or dividend-paying whole life insurance. Develop an automated method to save, to save here used as a verb, and figure out where you are on the prosperity ladder. The prosperity ladder concept was created by Kim Butler and her team. She and many others are among the mentors I've learned from. We've included a handout in the show notes that you can refer to as I explain the prosperity ladder and how it enables us to understand quite a few things about our money and our life. Imagine a four-step ladder or staircase. 
There are words for each step, starting at the bottom to the top, which are poverty, subsistence, comfort, and prosperity, which is at the top. These represent categories of wealth. Alongside the letter, starting from the bottom, picture the words work, save, and own. These represent our actions. This hierarchy of levels is meant to convey the increasing work effort and knowledge required. In general, comfort-oriented financial strategies won't lead to prosperity-level results. So let's start at the bottom with poverty. Almost every child starts there. It is where you have no control over your time or your money and your parents dictate everything you do. Subsistence is the next step. This is a pay-as-you-go basis and frankly, most of America hangs out there. If something unusual happens, a slide back to poverty is just around the corner. Often, you commit a large part of your future income to interest payments. This is called consumer debt, and this creates a state of mind called scarcity. The next step is comfort. Your financial circumstances are okay as long as everything is okay. If something changes, everything is not okay. This builds on that scarcity mindset and often creates either financial dread or an extreme desire to learn and build and grow out of this space as well as the wherewithal to take on protection mechanisms like insurance and legal documents to help out if the not okay occurs. The top step is prosperity. Now, money is viewed as a tool evaluated in terms of what you want to accomplish with it. This enables a positive, progressive mentality and enables you to pursue opportunities. It is important to note that prosperity is defined not by how much money you have, instead how much freedom you have with your money. Now let's talk about the actions. The first action is work. This is accepting external discipline. Even business owners have a boss, their customers, in order to have the beginnings of financial freedom and choices. Those with a long-term view will add protection to this space to stop any sliding backwards down the ladder. The next is savings, which is asserting self-discipline or building in automated habits to make that verb happen. Consistent application of this habit more than any rate of return will lead a person up the ladder more than any other action, especially if as your work earns you more money, you choose to save more too. 20% to savings is a minimum percentage of each dollar earned, no matter how many dollars are earned. Again, savings is an offensive action and protection is a defensive action. Both are necessary. Then we have ownership also known as control. The greater degree to which you have control over your work and your saving, the greater your chances for prosperity. You can own a skill, like sales, surgery, suing, or a business, stores, services, supervising, or property, slums, stories, space, or even money, savings, syndicates, and securities. So figure out where you are on the ladder, and more importantly, take some time to think about where you'd like to be on the ladder. We found most folks don't actually know where they are headed, so staying in control of their money is important so they can switch gears as they learn more about themselves and where they would like to go. If you'd like more on this prosperity ladder concept, check out Kim's book, Busting the Financial Planning Lies. Wealthy people have always practiced what we call prosperity economics. Therefore, it is helpful to look at how people built wealth prior to the existence of the financial planning industry to see what went wrong. Prior to the rise of the financial planning industry in the 1970s, the most used strategies were savings accounts, whole life insurance, and home mortgage, according to Steve Utkus, director of the Vanguard Center for Retirement Research, as quoted in the book Pound Foolish. 
Were Americans more financially savvy then? No, they didn't need to be because the typical family's finances and financial products were less complicated. Nobody needed to know the difference between index funds and exchange-traded funds, hedge funds, and target date funds. And nobody needed to understand the dangers of derivatives, credit default swaps, or collateralized debt obligations. People tracked their savings instead of their credit card debt. Over time, homes turned into free and clear assets rather than used as collateral to refinance credit cards. Life insurance provided for widows, widowers, and their heirs left behind, and the great majority of policies provided lifelong savings in addition to protection. In 1976, the great majority of policies issued were whole-life permanent policies. Today, most folks purchase life insurance just until their kids grow up then get rid of it before they need it the most. Imagine sitting down with your spouse in your late 60s and saying, you just canceled your million-dollar term insurance policy. Much more than simply a shift from permanent to temporary term insurance, which definitely has its place and fills a genuine need for affordable protection, this shift is part of a larger shift in savings patterns and liquidity of U.S. households. Personal savings rates soared to a peak of 13% in 1970 and then bottomed out post-2000 at less than 3%. Even more recent savings rates hovering around 7%, we can save more. And then came 2020. Nice work, America. You showed us you can do it. The decline in savings is a major factor in the financial challenges that we face. Fortunately, saving money is something that we can control. It may not be easy and it takes discipline, a change of priorities, and a change of habits, but saving money is possible. Typical financial advice tells us that the solution to low savings rates and longevity is to chase higher rates of return in the stock market, but this advice has only served to create much financial insecurity. We recommend that you find work you love to do so that total retirement becomes unthinkable. As a bonus, the world gets to benefit from your contributions. Isn't it time to change course and try something different? When I was first recruited into the financial services world, I started observing what wealthy people did. I looked for the positive patterns and noticed what habits, beliefs, strategies, and philosophies the truly prosperous had in common. And I noticed that those on their way to financial freedom did things differently. Prosperous people weren't following conventional wisdom or the plan that Wall Street had for them. Oftentimes, the successful business owners and entrepreneurs I met were not investing in the stock market, maxing out their 401ks, prepaying their mortgages, saving in savings accounts, paying 1% interest, working traditional jobs until retirement age, deferring their income taxes until retirement, or putting their income and their future in someone else's control. Wealthy people don't follow the crowd. They don't max out their 401ks, cross their fingers, and wait. And they don't put their dollars in trust under the control of the big financial corporations and the government. Many wealthy people practice what I have come to call prosperity economics. Prosperity economics seeks to protect principle as it grows rather than chase unreliable returns. Its strategies and products do not rely on guesses and assumptions, the political climate, the mood of the market, or government policies. Prosperity economics recognizes that planning is of limited use because when does life ever go as planned? Prosperity economics puts you back in control of your money using tried and true methods that do not rely on luck, speculation, constant time-consuming analysis, or a bull market. 
I met Don Buddy Blanton while attending what he calls Circle of Wealth College, a three-day event which goes over every personal finance aspect one would encounter in their life. Now I use his suite of calculators and software all the time to confirm that the numbers work, and they do. But prosperity economics is about much more than math. It's a different way of doing things. Prosperity economics starts with wherever you are right now. Whether you feel like you're behind on your finances or have experienced great prosperity, it deals with money you have now. Rather than trying to predict the future, the focus is on optimizing your dollars, making them more efficient, and putting what you have to the best possible use. Prosperity economics thinking is about more than money. We believe that prosperity is a way of thinking and a way of life, and it goes beyond dollars. Prosperity also includes health, happiness, and the fulfillment that comes when we live our purpose, dwell in gratitude, and do the right thing. Prosperity economics encourages people to remain active and productive, contributing their gifts for as long as possible. Rather than retire at some arbitrary age, we advocate that seniors continue to work, start businesses, or volunteer around their passions. Prosperity economics encompasses products, things that you buy, as well as strategies, things that you do. It's a flexible system that cannot be boiled down to a single product or strategy. Prosperity economics is a philosophy and a set of principles that inform your financial choices and put you back in control of your thinking and your money. Next week, we'll check out seven core principles that guide those practicing prosperity economics and what it looks like when you use them. Although I've coined the term prosperity economics and have articulated the seven principles of prosperity, the ideas and practices are not new. I didn't invent prosperity economics. The wealthy have practiced it for generations. I've simply observed and described the timeless principles and practices of wealth building. So more on that in the next episode. And remember, I asked a favor of you last week, and that was to not just listen, but take action. So print the Prosperity Ladder handout from the show notes and determine where you are on the ladder to prosperity and where you want to be. That's all I've got planned for you this week. Until next time, remember that navigating your abundant retirement starts today. I'd like to encourage you to continue our journey of enlightenment and education by subscribing to our podcast and downloading the show. See you next week. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes as a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of returns are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. Carol Dewey is an investment advisor representative of Perpetual Wealth Financial, a Florida-registered investment advisor firm.